Welcome back to Real Talk Torah, courtesy of the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg. I'm Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, and you just entered the database. And today, for our issue, we are going to talk about the very interesting and disturbing and confusing story of Reuven and Bilha and his particular sin. And once again, I am joined by my older brother, Rav Daniel Eisenberg. So thank you, Rav Daniel, for joining us or joining me. Back. It's a pleasure. Especially after all the uh, terrible feedback you got the last time I was on. Right. So, um, it's, um, yeah, we're, I'm giving you a chance to redeem yourself, actually. <laughs> so, we... Uh, we uh, you, you, you picked some topic for redemption over here. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see what we do with it. Um, yeah, so... We, we all learn the story as kids, um, and we learn the story very differently. That, um, and this is, maybe if you, if you just read the Bir Chasyakov in Parshas Vayechi, so you get this picture of Reuven doing some sin with a bed. And that, that seems pretty consistent with the Pasuk here. Um, well, should, 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 we, should we start just from the Chumash? Yeah, sure, why not? You know, every, every now and then... Um, the Chumash throws one of these, I like to call it a biblical hit and run. It, it just like, it just smacks us hard, really hard with something and then it kind of just jumps off of it. So right here, right after Rachel Imenu dies, so the Pasuk says, Vayisai Yisrael, that um, Yisrael journeyed, Yaakov journeyed, Vayet Aholo, and he set up his tent, and Mehalo Migdal Eder, says um, the art school translation, he set up his tent beyond Migdal Eder. Vayihi Bishkon Yisrael Ba'aretzahi, and it was when, when Yisrael was dwelling in the land, and if you want to see the actual Pasuk, it's in Paraklam and Hei Pasuk Chavbez. Vayelech Reuven, and Reuven went, Vayishkav Esbilha, I don't even know if I'm allowed to translate it, Vayishkav Esbilha, Pilegesh Aviv, Vayishma Yisrael, and then there's a there's a pause in the pasuk. So that part I'll translate. So Yisrael hears something, and then the pasuk says that the children of Yaakov are twelve. Vayishkav and he lay down. S is with Bilha is the is one of the wives of Yaakov. Yaakov, the concubine of Yaakov, the maid servant wife of Yaakov. Yes. So now. The reason, obviously, that I say I don't even know if we're allowed to translate these words is because it's a Zbifeyr Shei Gemara. I know the Gemara, the Gemara in Shabbos, um, that, and that, that Gemara is Andaf Nun Hey. Thank you, Zichr. Thank you, Rabbi Goldhar. Um, you, know, you can go back and listen to that interview um, with Rabbi Goldhar on, on, on a previous Real Talk Torah. But in the meantime... The Gemara there says that anyone who says that Ruvain sinned, or at least sinned in the way that seems to be described in this pasuk, is mistaken. That if you if you if you read the text as it is, and you you under like you understand what what seems to be the pasuk shot of this story, that it says at least that it looks like it says that Ruvain lay down and possibly had a relationship. With Yaakov's uh, wife or, or his Pilagash Bilha, so that's a mistake. That's that's uh, it's an incorrect read. And uh, I don't remember if it's that Gemara or a different Gemara that says that you're not even allowed to read the Targum for this pasuk out loud when you're when you when you're in short. Right. So that, that's not here. That's uh, I think that's in Chavita. Okay. Um, I believe 
and and over there the Gemara has um, numerous. Uh, it's actually it's a, it's a multiple, a multiple discussions about what can be what can be translated. Normally, just to, for background, uh, there used to be that there would be an Aramaic translation, the Targum, done uh, uh, alongside Kriyas of Torah. So the, the so they read up would lay in a pasuk and then they would translate it into Aramaic, which was the common vernacular of people going to shul. Um, and then there are certain psukim that are not allowed to be uh, translated. And then there's other and there are other stories that you might think that we're not allowed to translate them, but indeed we actually are. So that's uh, so that's that's the gemara over there. Right, and I think so, the gemara there gives the example of Yehuda and Tamar, who we're going to see yeah. in uh, that's next week's parsha. Um, but you know that the, 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 there's a story there, and there's a union there, and the Gemara says, but that uh, that that story ultimately uh, uh, presents Yehuda in a positive light, and it's 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 okay to translate that. But you know, the, the, this story seems to be different. Well, for one thing, the Yehuda and Tamar story is very elaborate. Um, the the Chumash, as as I said, this one is like a hit and run. The Chumash just says this pasuk, right? And I, I'm not going to say the translation. I'm just going to read the Hebrew, right? Again, that's all it says. That's all the Chumash writes on the topic. So it hits us with this big statement, and then it jumps off it, and we never hear of it again until the Berchas Yaakov, where Yaakov describes how how Ruvain might have ascended his bed or done something on his bed. And then, and then later again, yeah. right? So now the the, the question, I guess, um, there 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 are a lot of questions, but the one big question is obviously what did happen that day? Like what? what like are and are we not supposed to take the Chumash at its word? Right, because I, I, I think one big problem that we find here, and this is a problem that I think we encounter in general, but there's a unique application here. Normally, we learn Chumash, right? And you'll see a Pashup Shat read of the story. And, you know, and if, if, if you're looking for a Pashup Shat on a story, you could often um, consult the Ibn Ezra, the Sepharno, or the Rashbam, or the Bechor Shor. You're looking for a Pashup Shat read. And then sometimes, or often enough, you'll find Rashi quoting a midrash, which doesn't always seem so consistent with the Pashup shot. And you have to try to sometimes maybe read both into the story. We spoke a lot about this two weeks ago when we were confronting Yaakov Avinu's quote-unquote lie, right? And we said that, you know, we have this understanding of Yaakov Avinu um, from, from our tradition, that he's an honest person of truth, and... He, you know, he, he has no blemishes. He's an Ishtam. And the Chumash calls him an Ishtam. And yet we have to reconcile that with the complicated stories about Yaakov Avinu, where he seems that it seems that he's not being honest. And so there you kind of have to sort of fuse Pshat and Drash. And that seems to be a normal approach to take. It's not really one or the other. Usually you work with the two of them together. Now, this particular line of Drash from the Gemara is obviously very different and um, very unique in that it's saying that you cannot take the shot. You know, like in next week's Parsha, we're going to have one of the most important comments of the Rashbam. 
in Parshas Vayeshev, when he begins to talk about and expound on the story of Yosef and his brothers, he, you know, um, we, maybe we'll talk more about this next week. But one of the important things he says is he quotes the Gemara in Shabbos. I believe it's on Samach Gimel in Shabbos. But he says that the Mikra can never be taken out of its Pasha Pshat. The, 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 the Chumash always has a Pasha Pshat, and you can never divorce that Pasha Pshat from whatever other reading you're going to have. And then he also, and then the other ma- major part of that Rajbam is he says the Joshas of Chazal are the Iker. So well, I, I think that's a Rajbam that we have to come back to at some point in our Parsha travels. But in the meantime, here we have a, a Mikra, which seems to have a Pasha Pshat, and you have this Midrash that says you cannot take this as Pasha Pshat. And this midrash, it's not just that, like, and you might say, and um, right, there might be more than one opinion, even from midrash, about what actually happened, right? There are there are some midrashim that might imply that the deed happened. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah no, hundred percent correct. I, th- I think I think that's actually an important overlooked point. Um, I, I, the way I hear I hear people sometimes express this discussion is that. Chazal say that Reuven did not do what uh, the Pasuk seems to say he did. But the, the term Chazal um, would seem to say that the conclusive opinion throughout all of the Tanayim and Amorayim uh, is this way, but that, that's actually not the case. So, the, 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 by the way, just what I was quoting before, the Gemara in, um, in it's, it's not, it's, I don't think it's not clear, I think it's, it's Moe Kat, unless it's referenced again, but uh, it's not Amok, it's Megillah. It's in Megillah, <laughs> no, okay. The Gemara Megillah is discussing uh, which uh, the Gemara Megillah is discussing which things can be read, which ones not. It, that doesn't necessarily pass in one way or the other. That's Maybe. a fair point. Meaning, and what I'm understanding is that sometimes we just, you know, there's there's one. It could be, it might even be a Das Yachid out there. And then it comes up in the Gemara, or it comes in up in the Barashas Rabbah or something. And then it'll be it'll be um, it'll be coined as Chazal. This is Chazal's yeah. conclusive opinion. Right. I, I, especially, I think this is because we are trained to be Talmudim of Rashi, and in many in, in many in, in many ways, very rightfully so. But what happens, unfortunately, is if somebody does Shneimikor with Rashi their whole life, so they never take a look at the Ramban. Um, or the original sources that Rashi is quoting from, the Midrash Rabbah, uh, uh, Midrash Tanakhuma, or the Gemaras, so they'll actually um, miss the point that, that there, there, there are other opinions. So the Gemara in Megillah that says, don't, don't translate this, that's not necessarily saying one way or the other. Um, and, and, and the Gemara here, the Gemara in Shabbos, it's Rabbi Shmuel Barachmani quoting Rabbi Yonasan, and he says, "Call home anybody who says this, you know, Elatoa." But we have to keep in mind that that's in a series of of many examples that, particularly this Amora quoting this Amora of Yonasan, um, that he, he right he says David Amalek didn't sin the way you think he might have sinned, or or, or possibly at all, and the Bnei Shmuel, and the Bnei Eli, and and uh, Shlomo Amalek, um, and he, he, he he's He's presenting all these opinions, but actually the Gemara itself then proceeds to quote a Brysta, which features, I believe, four Tanaic opinions. And of those Tanaic opinions, it's not uh, it, uh, a couple of them seem to indicate that he indeed 
uh, did it. He indeed uh, he didn't have relations with Philip. And the other opinions are also not so posture that you know he just moved the he moved the bed. It might be that he. You know, he wanted to have relations with Bill and he restrained himself and he davened that he shouldn't give in to the temptation, which really changes the story completely. So these are a few opinions in, in uh, of Tanayim that say he did it. And, and, in the, and there's a similar, the, this, this Gemara is, is similarly quoted in a Barashas Rabbah and Parashas Vayichi. Uh, uh, like a parallel discussion, there are some nuances which are significant, but we should just realize that it's not so simple to say such a thing, right? We know, we know. I think even Rashi might even quote this midrash in in, in Parshas Vayechi. Maybe maybe those of you that uh, that uh, Yaakov, Yaakov calls out um, midrashically calls out Reuven for what he did, and he said, right, racist Oni, and he says, "You were the first drop of Zera that came out of me when I was 84 years old, and you did this sin, right?" Is that is that, is that sound familiar to you? Perhaps it's, I know it's Rashi quotes that in Kumish, but by Rashi they they do quote that 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 particular piece that he was the first drop of Zera. Right, right. So according to that, Yaakov saying Reuven, you know, you did this sin. If he just moved bed, it has nothing to do with the drop of Zera. So, so uh, you know, to, to say that Chazal, you know, completely unanimously very definitively say that Ruben didn't do anything wrong. I don't, I don't think that's, that's true. I think we should pro- show proper respect and, and do our utmost to understand that Shita. Uh, but, but just to, to have this a little bit of, 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 a, of, a, of an expanded uh, perspective on Chazal's feelings about this story. So I want to agree, and I also want to possibly counter, um, because I, I, I do think that you make a fair point that even within from within the scope of Chazal, within the scope of Drash, you have variants of opinions. But I would just point out that, just like you mentioned earlier about being a Talmud of Rashi, so it's very telling when this is the Misora that Rashi wants you to take away. And I would add that it's not just Rashi. Right, so if you look, if you look just just what you know, I surveyed some of the Mefarshim. So if you look at Rashi, Targumionis and Benazil, Ramban. Even Rambam, I think. I don't remember where I have it, but I, I, have, I, have a, I have a source somewhere. And so you have many Mepharshim who are taking the Mikra out of Pshuto, and they are suggesting, like that, that, that if you want to call it a Das Yachid, that they're saying that the story is not meant to be understood as Pshat. And... Like, you have sources that do say, read it Kipshuto. The Bechor Shor says, read it Kipshuto. The Radak, he quotes both. He says, here's how you might read it Kipshuto. And then the Radak, who many, I would say more often than not, is a Pashtun. And he says, but here's the Drasha from, from Chazal. I don't remember his exact Lashem, but he says something to that effect. Da'as Mikra, who often quotes like a variety of opinions, and he will never be afraid of Pashib Shat. So he compares it to... Avshalom sleeping with the Pelagesh of David HaMelech, meaning it's an act of open rebellion. But you have Mepharshim, um, you know, even Pashtanim, um, who are, you know, who, who are kind of just pushing this, this Misora. And even like Rav Hirsch, Rav Hirsch says, he, um, you have a lot of Mepharshim that are working really hard to read 
this statement from Chazal into the Pasuk. So for example, of Hirsch, who often is usually a Pashtun who's not you know, so afraid to say what he thinks is Pashup Shah, he says maybe it means that Ruvain slept in her bed, but didn't actually sleep with her. And there, I, I, um, there's actually a shear from Rabbi Daniel Gladstein on Torah Anytime. He goes through a bunch of different opinions. He quotes Rabbeinu Ephraim and Atur and others who say Vayelech Ruvain means that Ruvain actually ran away and he caused a ruckus, They're like in a search party. And he ran, Vayelech Ruvain, Ruvain traveled away, he, he walked away. And then Yaakov, on the night that he was going to be with Bilha, so Yaakov had to go out and look for him. The Chida, the Chidushi HaGirshuni, B'Shem the Ramah, and the Gra. All three of them, they say that no, Vayelchuv means Reuven walked by. He walked by, you know, when Yaakov and Bilha would have been um, together, and they they hear the pitter pattering of Reuven walking by, and so you know, they, and they and they separated. And all, all of these different variations are um, are seems like they're bending over backwards, working overtime to make sure that you can't possibly read that into the pasuk. I think there's this. I, I, I'll just say that. I just want to add, um, Rabbi Gladstein added this point. I think it was, I don't remember if the story was, I think the story was B'Shem the Ramah, the, that, um, that the Ramah offered this opinion, and then Ruvain came to him in a dream and gave him a kiss on the head. So, um, you know, it's, you tell me if Ruvain comes to you tonight um, after, you know, we're done talking about this. But, uh, but, but, but whatever you want to make of that story, um, we, we see these Mepharshim working over time to uphold okay. this drasha. So I, I think I think what the next step for, for us, uh, unless you want, to, you want to take a different direction, uh, would be to explain the motivation of, of uh, that understanding. But right, I, and I that just, we didn't even I, get I, to, and I think it's that's important background, right? So I just can't, I can't, I can't, just, I can't ignore Rabbi Eliezer Ben Horkos, Rabbi Yeshua Ben Hananiah. And I, by the way, I think I think we we would have to look at each each individual. You know, if, if we were doing the Gemara inside, you know, we would look at each opinion and see exactly what they say on the matter. Because we can all we can all possibly agree that Ruvain did the wrong thing, and we can have a discussion about what was the thing that he did. Yeah, right? especially when when the, the the basis, at least in the Gemara, in in, uh, in the Midrash, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai has has a has a has a, has a, has a you know, the Gemara quotes too actually. But, uh, but but has like a a, a a proof which is an interesting proof and, and I think the Midrash uh, has has a response. But over here, the the Gemara, everyone's um, raya is based on how to interpret the Rashi Tevos of Pachas. What does Pachas Kamai and what does Pachas stand for? And then Rabbi Elazar turns it backwards and and does it right. says what it stands for is like a, like a Zion Kaspei. So I mean, obviously, you know, this this discussion, the Gemara would, would deserve it, its own uh, sheer just to look at all these opinions and, and try to figure out what they're really saying, where it's coming from. But with that background, that there are um, two main stories here, right? The one which is which which would seem to be explicit in the text, which is that uh, that Reuben had relations with Bilha, and then the the version that Chazal uh, that that the alternative that Chazal suggests. Okay. Meaning and not, with this alternative, not all Chazal suggests this alternative. But if there's one alternative that you want to find the Chazal, it's not like the reverse you quoted exactly. It's not like like uh, you know the the all the others you quoted. Is that he, he moved around the, the, the beds. Right. right. And so the, and so, this uh, this particular opinion. So 
let's just let's just um, get get the background. I, most of our listeners, I assume, um, are familiar, but just you know, in case there's a little lack of clarity. So Rachel Aminu died. She's the main wife. She's the Akaris Abayas of Yaakov Avinu. So Yaakov Avinu has to move his his bed, and because there, there's no more Rachel Aminu's tent. So we we might have thought that we might have thought that the next logical place for Yaakov's bed would have been in Leah's tent. She would have been the next main wife, and Ruvain, in fact, um, had this contention that Yaakov should have moved his bed into Leah's tent. But Yaakov moves it into Bilha's tent. Bilha was the handmaiden of, 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 of Rachel, and that's where Yaakov moves his tent. And Ruvain, according to this opinion in Chazal, he moves, the bed, he moves Yaakov's bed out of the tent. Presumably, he moves it out of Bill's tent, and I guess he moves it back into Leah's tent, or whatever it is. But he 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 somehow keeps Yaakov from being with Bilha, and a lot of the Mepharshim point out that that um, or really the Gemara, the fact that the Chumash goes out of its way to tell us that the children of Yaakov Avinu were twelve, this shows you that Reuven wasn't entirely demoted from the family, he wasn't kicked out, he wasn't disowned. Um, in fact, he was still, in certain respects, um, by by title at least, he was the Bechor. And, and 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 again, j- j- just so we understand, the nature of this particular midrash is unlike other midrashim, which says, "Oh, here's the pashup shot," but here's the midrash that you should know. You know, in some in some other world, this is what was also going on at the same time simultaneously. That's not what this particular midrash is saying. This particular statement is saying what you are reading. You know, don't believe in your in your lying eyes. You know, so to speak. That's that that that's not true. That's not how to read it. In fact, you're not even allowed to read the targum on it. Maybe for this reason, because this is not true. But the but but what did happen is not that Ruvain lay down with Bilha, but he actually just moved to bed. And again, this is a this is a very unique approach because it's telling you not to not not to take at its word what the Chumash says there which makes this story particularly challenging. It says this sentence and nothing else, and which, which is also perhaps very telling. You know, you have a story, again, like, like, like Yehuda and Tamar, where the Chumash is very elaborate about what happens. Here, we don't really have a narrative. We barely have any background. And without this Midrash, you might not have a clue what's flying here. Right. But this is what the so, Chumash gives so, us. So now let's, and of, and of course, um, if you're going to take the, the approach that it is... Um, not to be taken literally, then you have to understand why it's written the way it's written. Um, and typically the answer will be something along the lines of uh, it's because for someone like Ruben at his level to interfere in uh, the marital life of, of Yaakov the way he did, so it, it's it's considered for him as if he did it, but of course he didn't actually, he wasn't so base uh, and low to do such a horrible uh, horrible, commit a horrible atrocity like this. Um, again, so we're, we're gonna. And, to... and the Gemara has similar statements about Chafni and Pinchas and Sefer Shmuel, um, which we don't need to get into now. But just to know that there are similar drushos out there. Correct. Right. That that just that interfering in a in a husband and wife being together is uh, is tantamount to adultery in, in, in some sense. Or people on a higher level. Um, so, so let, let's try to figure out what this, uh, what the, what, what the motivation. 
One second, I think we lost you. Okay, we lost you at motivation. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to not motivate you. Um, yeah, I, I know so, what the word motivation means, but but your voice went out. Yeah, so um, so we have to figure out the motivation uh, for those who take this approach, and it could be that the answer is just simply Masora, that they that you know we have a tradition, they have a tradition, um, that, you know, Rabbi Shmuel Bar had a tradition that he got from Rabbi Yonasan, who got from you know could be all the way from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, that Rabbi didn't do it. For all we know. And therefore, th- therefore we, have to, we have to bend over backwards and try to figure out how to make the text work with this tradition. Um, but it could be there's more to that, right? And maybe we'll speak about the, the, the truck thing in a moment. But it could be that just looking at the objective text, you have to look at the clues, you have to look at the evidence around, and perhaps understand that, that it's actually not, um, it doesn't, fit so much better to say that Ruben actually did it. So one thing that you pointed out, which the Gemara points out, which is that um, that it says right afterwards that, that like in, in the same in, in the same Pasuk, in the same breath, that the sons of of uh, Yaakov were twelve, seemingly including Ruben. Um, By the way, some say that means they were twelve and not more than that, because <laughs> that, that was right, Yaakov's right. possible last chance. Correct. So, so that now that, that's the response that you know maybe, you know, maybe this see he did something wrong here. So it's true that, that you, you can debate that. By the way, um, that, but even even if you say Ruvain didn't do the deed, this just means that Yaakov was parish from you know he was, he was parish from Bilha, He separated from her and just didn't have you know another union. Meaning, you don't have to say that Ruvain did anything with Bilha for this to have happened, or you could say he did. Now this well, obviously. I mean, it, it, it seems to be that. It, that the, the mention of twelve sons is somehow related to some to something that happened with Ruben and Bella, and um, it's something that couldn't have just figured out on its own. The sons of his were twelve, so it, it seems to be intentional. So either it is certainly saying he did it, or certainly saying he did not. <laughs> but I don't think it's uh, right. Right, but I'm saying even if you take um, the opinion that he did not. The fact that Yaakov's children are twelve can still be a disparaging statement criticizing Ruvain, who might not have done the deed, but he did interfere with the marital life of his father. Um, so yeah. So uh, and, and the Gemara mentions another piece which uh, the, the the Midrash refutes, but it's the point that uh, it, how could it possibly be that. Reuven, that Shevet Reuven would be on Hareval um, and and make the curse against uh, against uh, you know adultery with the uh, with the father's wife if they if Reuven actually did it, it, it that's the debatable point. That's right. not really evidence from the text. That's just right. like a ha'ara. Right, uh, that's in, a fair point. Opinion. But but I think some of the evidence from the text is um, a couple really the other mentions of this story because. As you said, it looks like it's a hit and run, but the truth is it's not. The story is is uh, repeated twice, to my knowledge, in Tanakh. Okay. Um, we mentioned the book of times. First of all, um, on on, on uh, Yaakov's deathbed, or when, when or, you know when Yaakov is giving the the the, the Yaakov to his children. So the fact that that Yaakov says uh, he gives him a bracha. And even though there's certain things that you know might be more of like curse, but for people to remove it, it's rather vague. It doesn't mention Bilah. 
doesn't say anything about adultery or, or incest. It, it, it just it calls it just it says he's a little bit impetuous. And, and he, he condemned the lack of right. his father's mouth. Uh, like, yeah, you, by the way, you don't call an incestuous adulterer impulsive. You call him other things. Right. And ascending the couch. Meaning, even if he's talking in the Russian Nakia, but like, this is this is your time to give rebuke. This is this is it. Uh, you know, if the demon, if, if, if indeed the sin was like, was, was you know, sexual in nature and, and even adultery and incest, so I would expect Yaakov to use much harsher terms than merely you know, impetuous and disrespectful to his father. Now, granted, it's not, you know, the, the wonderful brachos uh, that Yehuda or Yosef got, but but uh, you would expect a much harsher response for him to do something so diabolical and, and, and atrocious as the text seems to say that, that he did for, for him to say, oh, you're part of the family, come over here for your bracha. And by the way, I really need to talk to you about that thing you did. It wasn't so nice. Like, you would expect so much more. Right. And that alone is reason to believe that Reuben is, is you know, not, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't do what the Pasuk seems to say. That, Reuben right. um, I, I think also uh, another point is that in, uh, in Reyam, as, as well, when it's quoted. I Reyam, it's in Parak Hay, it's the first Pasuk in Parak Hay. Parak Hay, Pasuk Aleph. Okay, right, so it says over there that, right, as we're basically explaining why Reuben lost the Bechorah and the Malchus to, to Yosef, and uh, he would, why he lost the Bechorah to Yosef, the Malchus to Yehuda, and over there, the, the, uh, Ezra Diveria uses a very clean and vague expression of Reuben having profaned Yaakov's couch. Right, so, he defiled his father's couch, right, that's very vague. Right, right. so like, one would think that Diveria intent is, right, it's, it's trying to, like, write... The, the, and speak the praises of a Malchus based of it and justify, justify the Malchus being stripped away from from uh, Reuben to Yehuda to justify it. So you would think that the, that the author would describe Reuben's hate in full detail. But Dibre Young also keeps it very, very clean. And again, of course, you know, you know about people, anybody who's listening who's learning Sachem, of course we know the importance of Lashon Of course that's true. But the Torah can be explicit when it wants to be explicit, and there are certain places that Yaakov should have perhaps been explicit, the Yom could have been explicit, but it's not. And, and these pieces of evidence, uh, in addition to the fact that the, that the Torah immediately mentions that, that there's, there are 12 of them, these might point to the, to, to the fact that Ruben didn't actually do what the text did. So before you get to Masora, before you get to, you know, any tradition and, and discussion of the trouble, which I don't even know if I have time for, but the, the text itself of Tanakh as an entirety, Sefer Barishas as an entirety, and then Tanakh, and you extend it all the way from the first Sefer to the last Sefer of Tanakh, it's hard to see this, especially, I mean, Ruben's name on the, on the, on the, on the Choshen, you know? Right, it's I mean, y- y- Yosef, Yosef, if you just, just bear in mind, Yosef, um, according to according to Midrash, Yosef almost got his name taken off the Choshen. Right. When they, I guess that would have been Ashes Isha, you know, at worst, which is not really it's not a good thing. But this is like Ashes of, which is even like we might say that's worse than just regular Ashes Ish. It certainly is. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's something. That's so, a good point. So, so, so it, it, it's hard to understand the storyline of, of the Torah. Um, and, and, and why things are written if, if Ruben 
really did such such a thing. Now, again, there are some Tanayim who do want to take it at face value, but it's so reasonable to understand opinions that that cannot just just for the sake of pushing shot in the text of the Chumash. Sure. Why they, they can't accept it as as, as uh, at face value. Right, and I like I I think that's that's an important point. Meaning, we're trying to use context and. I, I think, you know, even though, you know, and again, we keep on coming back to this term that I coined for, for this particular kind of thing, a biblical hit and run. It's, it's, it's the fact that the Chumash, although we, we would say the Chumash uses its words sparingly and in general tries not to be so elaborate, but when it comes to narratives, you know, usually the, you know, especially major narratives, you know, narratives where if you're going to even touch that topic, we're assuming that there's going to be some kind of elaboration. The fact that it doesn't elaborate here um, says something about how the Chumash wants you to perceive this. It's almost like this story is a very blurry story. It's a blurry story in its own right. What actually happened? Um, you know, one, one approach that I've had, and I, you know, I, I wrote a long essay on this topic, and I usually try not to suggest a novel interpretation unless I find it to be very consistent with, with Misora, and this one I think is. Uh, but it's the fact that if you look at the context, most of the Yaakov Avinu narratives, we have his regular name Yaakov Avinu, even after Hashem started calling him Yisrael. So in the story of, let's say, Shechem and Dina and, and Shimon and Levi, so there he's called Yaakov. Throughout the rest of the Torah, he's mainly called Yaakov. There are exceptional cases where he's called Israel. This is one of those exceptional cases. And it's very interesting. If you look at the context, it says, Vayisa Yisrael, right? So this is after Rachel dies, right? So the very previous Pusik from there says, Vayatsev Yaakov Matseva, Yaakov makes a Matseva for Rachel. Next Pusik, Yisrael travels. Then it says, it's when Yisrael was, was, was dwelling. Right? Then it says, um, the, again, uh, and then it describes Ruvain's deed. And Yisrael hears. In the same Pasuk, and the children, now we're, back, we're finally back to Yaakov, and then from, I think, till the rest of the Parsha, he's Yaakov again. So in this little narrative, this tiny little narrative, this blurry narrative, he's called Yisrael. And I think... This um this this possibly goes back to what you were saying before, and you might and some people might think that this is an apologetic kind of an answer. That oh, like why would you say why would you malign Ruvain like that, and say that Ruvain did this terrible terrible deed when he really didn't? It's like the Chumash is being moti shemra on Ruvain. It seems if if we are to accept that Ruvain didn't do this, but. The approach again is kilu, right? And is that fair? We take this as if pro, uh, this as if approach that it's as if Ruvain, you know, he he committed adultery by interfering in the marital affairs of his father. But again, he didn't do it. And why would you say he did? But if if you know, if we look at the difference between Yisrael and Yaakov, so Yisrael always, and I, I'm not, I, you know, I didn't come up with this. The, the, I think there's an Etziv who says this. I think there there are multiple sources that say that Yisrael always refers to the spiritual um, legacy and identity of Yaakov Avinu, the larger picture Yaakov Avinu, and Yaakov Avinu. Whenever it says Yaakov, it's talking about the physical human being Yaakov. You know, from here on in. Whenever, so it could be, so like, right? So the, 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 this predates me, but if we if we if we run with that, what we have is from in, in terms of a historical account, 
we barely have that in these couple of psukim. We barely have enough to call it a story. We don't, we don't have the report like we have for other narratives. But what we do have is in the realm of Israel, something happened. In the spiritual realm of Israel, something was disturbed. And then, before the story is over, Yaakov, as opposed to Israel, Yaakov's children are 12. The physical bodies of Yaakov's children, the physical body of Yaakov, you know, it's a regular, it's a regular story. And I think that what we, I think we can learn from this is that, you know, whenever you do what, uh, any mundane action, whatever that might be, there's always the physical, you know, impression of what you did. The phys, you know, whatever whatever actual practical ramifications there were, and then there are spiritual ramifications. And again, I don't think this is an apologetic reading. That this might be the pashup shadow almost, if I can use those words, of this very blurry and ready complicated narrative which is barely a narrative, if we can call it one. So, maybe in the world of Israel, you know, what Yeruvain did is considered as if. And in, the, and, and in the world of, you know, in the real world that we live in, where we don't always see the spiritual actions, so say Chazal, or say at least that one opinion in Chazal, you can't read the story as it is. And maybe because the story is really not, it's not legible as it is. Now, you you said you had um, had an approach um, pertaining to the trup that maybe the trup intimates that um, a, a certain degree of innocence for Ruvain in this story. Yeah, yeah. So so th- there's a there's a couple of sets of trup over here uh, in, in most Gemara and this is the way the um, the Ashkenazi. I'm not, I'm not so familiar uh, with the way it's done. For sorry, it could be that some actually read. Both sets, but there, there, there are two sets of trup um, on these sukkim, and oh, uh, the way Ashkenazim read it, there's one that Ashkenazim would read uh, while, like, you know, learning on their own, doing Shnayamik or something like that, and there's another set of trup that would be used in shul. Mm-hmm. Um, Similar, I now, guess, to Tam Elyon, Tam Tachton on the Sarasa Dibros. Yes, yes, very, very similar. So, I mean, except that in, in many Chumashim, they're written very confusingly. Mm-hmm. Because they're, you'll see on each word two sets of trap, and it it'll sound like a train wreck if you try to read it like that. <laughs> um, but but if you have a a, a good tikkun, um, will separate them properly, like uh, like like the Sarah's Dibras are in most of Russian. So um, if you take a look at look at them, it, it just you know there, there's it doesn't seem to have an explanation. I'll I'll, I'll even lean that the so there are a few, a few differences. Um, like more noticeable differences. So it's um Bishkon Yisrael Varatsaki Bayelechru Bayishka Bespilapi Lagashabi Bayishma Yisrael Bayuvene Yakov Shnemasar. Okay. So, so that's what I have in the Chumash that I'm looking at right now. What? Yeah, that, that's what I have in the Chumash that I'm looking at right now. Okay. And then there's another one that Bayibishkon Yisrael Varatsaki is the same. And Vayelech, instead of Vayelech Ruvein, it's Vayelech Ruvein. Okay. Instead of Vayishkab, it's Vayishkab, Espelah Pilegesh Aviv, Vayishma Yisrael, and there's a Sof Pasuk there. Interesting. And then Vayu B'nei Yaakov Shnei Masar, and the 12 sons of Yaakov were 12. So um, there, these are two versions, of, two ways to read it. Um, the, mo- the most noticeable differences are the ones that I think I, I called out. Is that one of them? Is there's a Rivi on Reuven, as opposed to Reuven, and then in the other version, it's Vayishkav as opposed to Vayishkav. So instead of a Pashto, it is a Kefgadol. 
yes, Kiko doll and a pasta. And then I just don't want to confuse anybody too much uh, who's uh, not uh, doesn't mind too often. Um, and then so the, those are two differences. And another major difference is that there's a sofa suk, meaning an early period in the phrase according to one. Right. right. In, 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 the, in the Torah, there's a space here after Vayishma Yisrael and, and Yisrael heard. He heard the he heard about what happened. And then it says, and the sons of Yaakov were 12. Now, in one version, we read it as like a comma. And in another version, it's, so the way I understood with noting those three differences, uh, so I, this is the way I, I, I've understood it, is that so the, the first version where where there's a Ravi on Reuven, and this is this is the one that you read in Shul. Mm-hmm. So in Shul, what do you read? You read Reuven by Yishkav, mm-hmm. and then which is which is Reuven, where the Ravi is on Reuven. So there's like a descent and an emphasis on Reuven. Ravi is like a it's, it's a it's a very it's a pronounced right, sure. um, uh, cancellation uh, piece, right? So so. That the emphasis on Reuven and it's it's Ravi, which is like the descent, and then Vayishkav, and he, which means and he lay. That is not as uh, you know, it's not as a you know a, a, a noticeable um, nope. truck. It's not. A, it's not. You know, it doesn't doesn't make as big an impact. Meaning that it's the this the way to read it is it's de-emphasizing the action of him laying. But the emphasis is on Reuven. We're looking at you, Reuven. You did Ruvain something. And perhaps his, his descent, Reuven. Right. Right. Oh, and, and, and what that would be demonstrating is that it's saying... On Reuven's level. Sorry? Almost like on Reuven's level. Emphasis on Reuven. Yeah, for Reuven, for, for Reuven, let's focus not on the Vayishka, but on the Reuven. And, and this, meaning this is a much more positive reflection. This is that he didn't really do it. It's just on his level. It's as if he did. And that's, and in this version as well, it's not a sof pasuk. It's Vayishma Yisrael, and then the end of the pasuk Vayuvnei Yaakov Shnei Masar, which would confirm that uh, that uh, you know that, that proof in the, from the Gemara that this this the, the one we read in public is that version. It's the version of the emphasis is on Reuven. Vayishkav is minimal, and you can't read the pasuk without concluding Vayuvnei Yaakov Shnei Masar. However, in the other version of the the, the one that you read. When you're reading by yourself, so it's Vayelet Ruvain, no special emphasis on Ruvain, Vayishkav Zakif Gadol, which uh, you know some, sometimes points out something very interesting or a contrast or something strange, right? So, so there's, it, there's a more of an emphasis, which is what did Ruvain do? Vayishkav, can you believe it? Right? Can you believe what he did? He lay, right. you know, he can't even say it. Vayishma Yisrael, and the pasuk ends. And you throw her, right. and then the next pasuk, not re- not related, but you b'nei Yaakov's name asar. So, one second, we lost you again. And yeah, okay, I think we got you. You back? Okay, so by you b'nei Yaakov's name asar. So it's like an unrelated pasuk. It's not uh, you know it has it has nothing to do with the story. So what we have here, uh, based on these two sets of trap, we have two ways to read the pasuk. Um, one, the, the one we read in public in shul uh, sounds like you know the one when we read pri- privately on our own uh, sounds like almost the like of the text. Mm-hmm. And 
the one that we read, um, one that we read in Shul, is uh, out loud during Kriya Torah, seems to be reflecting more of this opinion of the Gemara that he didn't actually do it. It's just not on his level. Um, where, where do these sets of truck come from? In general, we assume that the truck um, are are going way back. That right, the Gemara in uh, in Gil and other places and indicates that uh, could be Halakha uh, Mishnah Sinai. These truck that we got them in Har Sinai. So so these are these are definitely you know the truck are Masoretic. So we have them for a long time. Right. These two sets of truck are also from there. So right here we have two different ways to read it. Now, what might that indicate? So I guess they're two different ways to understand the two sets of truck could be that uh, two different know, ways to understand the really story Ruben, really Ruben did it could be really Ruben did it um, however we don't want to be Mavazi and we don't want to embarrass him in public so when we do the public Kriya Torah and people are going to misunderstand and they're not going to realize that he did Shuvah Shlema so you know we, we, we're not going to we're not we're, we're going to read it in a more flattering way um, you could understand it like that or you could possibly understand the reverse that no he didn't do it um he, he certainly didn't do it. And when we're talking in the general public, and you're not, you know, we're not leaving behind and trying to learn from all the details, so we're, we're not going to make him look worse than he really was. However, when you're learning on your own, you're trying to understand the story in a deeper level, so you understand what the Torah compares it to. So it could be that the, the, that, that would, uh, you know, also also be there. So these two different sets of Trump uh, reflect these two main ways to read this. I have to say that's fascinating, and so thank you for sharing that with all of us. Um, I think there's so much more that can be and really should be said, and I think we would. I think you and I have to meet again for another conversation just to talk more about Pshat, Drash, maybe the whole gamut of Pardes, and just to you know to understand how to learn some of these things together. Um, I think this is definitely an exceptional case, and therefore an exceptional conversation. So thank you for joining us once again. And um, yeah, looking forward to having you for a future conversation on similar topics, trying to understand what's happening in the Chumash. Um, Again, it was a pleasure. In the meantime, keep it real, keep talking, and most importantly, keep the Torah. Thanks for joining us here at The Database.